I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. <clears throat> this is a passage that I've been... I guess I've been reluctant to preach about it because I feel so guilty. <laughs> I feel like it's something where I need to work on my own attitude... While I was in South Africa, I found myself of necessity, of necessity. I had to work on this just so that I could be an example to the other men around me. In chapter 12, verse number 1, it says, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a one, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. <clears throat> How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now this isn't the part that was necessarily challenging to me. It was this next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do pray that you would guide us tonight. And I pray, Lord, that you'll help us with the next few minutes to, to be touched by your spirit and helped to a level of grace where we can be like Paul. Father, I know you didn't write this just to brag about him. And I know it's to be a challenge for each one of us, Lord, to have the same type of attitude. And sometimes we look at people like this and we think, oh, he's, he's too perfect to be real. But Father, with your grace, we can have the same attitude. And I pray, Lord, that you'll minister to us, you'll speak to our hearts, you'll challenge us, and help us, Father, to see that you're everything, and we can trust you with everything. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In chapter 11, Paul had been talking about all the different trials he'd gone through, how he's beaten, he suffered shipwreck, he'd been in the deep, and all this, and this, and this, and it's an extensive list. We read in the book of Acts, and we read vivid descriptions of some of these things and how he's beaten and then thrown into prison and locked, locked up with shackles. We read about this thing happening and this thing happening and this thing. 
And after chapter 11, he begins chapter 12 by saying something like, it doesn't do much good for me to brag. <laughs> I mean, he's just giving a testimony. But when he gives a testimony, it sounds like bragging because God was really doing something with him. He wasn't boasting. But then he moves on and, and he says, it doesn't do me much good to brag about myself, so I'm not trying to do that. But he speaks of this experience of a person that he knew, which we believe was actually himself, but he speaks of, it, of this other person as if it wasn't himself. And he says, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, how he was, he was caught up into the paradise, uh, into the paradise of God. And, and he tells, Paul tells about these abundance of revelations that he's had and, and how he, he heard things that he couldn't talk about and he saw things he couldn't describe. And then he mentioned how through the abundance of revelations, we're tempted to be puffed up. Well, even if we don't have revelations, aren't we still tempted to be puffed up? Human beings, I don't know what it is about us, doesn't matter where you go in the world, there's this temptation, this tendency toward being proud, being lifted up. And in order for Paul, who had all these reasons that he could be proud, not justifiably, but you understand what I'm saying? He had gone through all these experiences. He had seen all these things. He knew all these things because God revealed them to him, but that was by grace. It wasn't because Paul was so good. But he had all this knowledge, and he could be puffed up. And so God gave him a thorn in the flesh to prevent that. And he realized that in that, God was helping him to realize the blessing of suffering, the blessing of handicaps, the blessing of challenges in our lives. They're a good thing, folks. They're a good thing. So we, we, we suffer hardships, and boy, I was visiting one couple in South Africa, and the wife says to me, Oh, life is so hard. Life is so hard. This was just a month ago, a month and a half. I was talking to her husband after that. He says, Oh, life is so hard now. <laughs> you remember when Jesus went to the house of uh, Lazarus? He was dead and buried, and Martha came out and met him and said, If you'd been here, our brother hadn't died. And a little bit later, Mary comes out to him and says, if you had been here, our brother hadn't died. It's like they had been discussing this with each other. You know, you know what I mean? And sometimes we pass on a negative attitude to someone else through our own fears and doubts and, and struggles. And the two of them, I wonder if they weren't just feeding each other with negative thoughts. That doesn't help. It doesn't help. You tell someone, I remember we had some kids over visiting our son when he was a little child, and they decided they wanted to sleep downstairs by themselves, and everybody else in the family was sleeping upstairs. So they took out the hide-a-bed and the couch, and they lifted it out, and the three of them were down there, and after a while, we heard them tromping upstairs. They were telling ghost stories, and they scared each other. They scared each other and they wanted to be up there where we were. 
Think about these two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're discussing these things, and, and they're feeding each other, it seems like, with negative thoughts. You think that's bad, let me tell you this. Oh yeah, and that's bad, yeah, I know that's bad, but let me, here, listen to what I'm having to say. You know, and, and they're just going, getting further and further dragged down by each other, by their companion. I can't remember where I was going with that. That's my affliction. <laughs> so I move on. I guess I should praise the Lord in my poor memory. This affliction, right? I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in infirmities. I remember about 20 years ago, I was out cutting the grass and my arm brushed up against a branch and I noticed it happened in other places on my body. There was a scratch and a scar and it developed into a rash and then it developed into welts and then it just got bigger and bigger. And this was in the summertime, it was hot. And the heat made it itch intensely. And I, I went to a, our doctor, and the doctor, he says, I have a, a specialist, a tropical disease specialist friend in Pretoria, and he owes me a favor. So I'm sending you to him. So I drove in our air-conditioned car to the location of this doctor, and while I was driving in the air-conditioned car, I noticed I wasn't itching. And I realized cool air calmed it down. And I started freezing bottles of water and I would rub ice all over. I tell you what, my wife took a picture of me, and it was one of those digital cameras, and I deleted it. It was hideous. It was awful. I, the, this, this disease was called Bellagia, and uh, itched like crazy. And I got, what? some type of vaccination or a, a shot or something like that and I think it helped but I oh, it was bad it's hard to imagine praising the Lord during that and yet I think by the grace of God a saint could do that I tried on a coat one time it was winter time and I noticed the next day, when I, after I'd taken the coat off, there was a, there was a bite on my, on my wrist right here. Turns out it was a tick. And I ended up getting a, seemed like a cold, seemed like maybe the flu was coming on, and it was on a Friday. I got chills. I went home. I tried to rest. It got worse and worse. My temperatures got up to 104.5. My wife couldn't sleep in the bed because I would sleep on one side and, and I'd sweat and I would soak the bed. I'd have to move over to the other side. And this went on for days. Headaches, chills, fever, sweats. <laughs> Finally on Monday again, I think I got an injection and, and things got better, but it wasn't over. You know, and it's hard to imagine, oh, praise the Lord for this. And yet... By the grace of God, can't we do that? You know this Patch the Pirate. We are listening to, I was hearing my wife read his testimony, or somebody was just a week or two ago, and how he had cancer in an eye. 
And that's not something you would generally be thankful for. But because of that, his eye, I think, was removed. He wore a patch over his eye. A little girl came up to him one day and said, you look like a pirate. And he developed this persona, this character, Patch the Pirate. An entire ministry was created because of cancer. And that man, I think, personally, one of the greatest men of our time, so many godly, wonderful hymns, not just the kids' stuff, but the grown-up stuff, too. Stuff that during COVID really, really touched my heart like never before. But it all came about because of this eye problem. And we'd think it was bad, but God used it. Infirmities. What about reproaches? I think there's two different kinds of reproaches. There's the kind that's false, and there's the kind that's true. You remember when uh, the... Uh, man who was born blind and, and he was healed by Jesus and later he's talking to the people at the temple and then they don't believe him and they talk to his parents and his parents distance themselves from him because they you know he's doing something saying Jesus healed him and they don't they don't want to acknowledge that and so the parents, in their own way, they're separating from him, and they're saying, we don't approve of you. We don't approve of what you're saying. We don't approve of your position. And so they were reproaching their son falsely. And later on, these leaders in the temple, they, they come at him, and they say, how dare you think you can teach us something when you were obviously born in sin? You know, they're reproaching him falsely. But these reproaches, what do they do? They soften up his heart. They leave him uh, alone so that when Jesus finds him again, he's ready to believe. Amen? Reproaches can be a good thing. And reproaches should be a good thing. Sometimes we hear ourselves being smitten from the pulpit. <laughs> Has that ever happened to anybody else? And do we say, thank you, I needed that? Uh, maybe we should. We should glory. We should be, take pleasure in reproaches, in being corrected from the pulpit or in private. I was talking to a young man a, a few years ago, and I've never had anybody react like this. But I was explaining something about his language that wasn't proper and how I saw it kind of popping up in his children. And it wasn't really bad. But afterwards, he wrapped his arms around me and hugged me. He was thankful that I confronted him and corrected him. <coughs> Bible, or Bible here talks about, <laughs> well, let me, let me back up a second here. We had a guy over in South Africa. Uh, he was, I, I, I'd be fun fun to try to talk about this guy and, and describe him to you. He was a character. But he was talking to some Lutherans who were in the community. And the whole community at one time had been leaning toward Lutheran and then we Baptists came in there. But one of them said to him, you Baptists, you're only temporary. You're only temporary. You're not going to stick around here. And he says, he says, yes, you're right. We are temporary. The Lord's coming back for us. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> Amen. They've got their sense of humor. 
necessities. When we have needs. And I tell you, it would be hard for me to explain this to you. Because without knowing your lives, without knowing your income, without knowing your lifestyle, I can almost guarantee you that the poorest of you do better than they do over there. They have a phrase in Lesotho called singing away the hunger. Singing away the hunger. They never have enough to eat. And they go days without food sometimes, days and days, two, three days. I remember when we used to go in there and preach and we'd bring these bags of oranges or bags of apples to give to the children. And they would, this would be like three in the afternoon and they would say, oh, I haven't had anything to eat yet today. Thank you. Necessities. Do we thank God when we have needs? Do we thank God when we're in need? I don't have enough to pay my bills. Praise the Lord. <laughs> That's not the way we go naturally, is it? That's not our natural response, our natural reaction. And yet, Paul takes pleasure in infirmities, reproaches, and necessities. In persecutions. Boy. Personally, I do believe that it was Paul in chapter the beginning of chapter 12 that was called up to the third heaven. I think it was when he was uh, at a point in his life where he'd been killed and he was temporarily dead. He went to see heaven, then God sent him back. And the persecution allowed him to see the Lord and to see heaven in a way that nobody else gets to see. When we were abducted, I can tell you, there was a peace that filled my heart. And I can't explain it except that God was there in abundance. And he was giving me peace through the whole thing. I didn't know how it was going to turn out. Four, three of us, three of us were taken in my pickup truck and Brother Zebulon was taken in the back of his car, in the trunk. And uh, this one man, young man, he said, do you think they'll kill us? Do you think they'll kill us? And I thought and I thought and I said, I've got to be honest with this man. I said, I don't know. I, I said, it doesn't make any sense. I could not see them getting away with killing Brother Amatsi. I just didn't think that was going to happen. And later on, I was talking to him, and he said, I knew, I knew that God was going to keep your lives. He said, I didn't know about mine. <laughs> but it's interesting how it gets to a point where it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter because you just, you're just trusting God because of his presence and his fullness in your life. And you say, God, I'm trusting you. Praise the Lord. Do your work. But I don't want to break down a ball by telling you the effect it had on my wife. Except I'll tell you that God prepared her by bringing her best friend by kind of unannounced, to be with her that evening, not knowing what was going to happen. And God, he plans, you know. He helps us. He knows all that we need, and he provides all that we need. The last thing that it mentions here is distresses. In distresses for Christ's sake. And distresses isn't necessarily being in distress, it's the things that cause the distress. 
You understand what I'm saying? These pressures and these, these issues and these problems and these burdens that cause, that can cause distress. But, but when, when we're facing these things, hey, we still have reason to rejoice. Our problem is we have a tendency to have an improper attitude because we have a tendency to be proud. When bad things happen, we think, well, why is this happening to me? Why isn't it happening to them? Why me? Why am I suffering? Why am I struggling? Why am I doing without? Why do I have to go without? Why do I have to get sick? Why does this problem happen to me? And I want you to go with me to 2 Chronicles. There's a great attitude here. In 2 Chronicles chapter 2, beginning with verse number 4, and this is... Um, this is uh, Solomon, King Solomon. This is when he's considering building the temple. And he says in verse 4, Behold, I build a house to the name of the Lord my God to dedicate it to him and to burn before him sweet incense and for the continual showbread and for the burnt offerings morning and evening on the Sabbaths and on the new moons and on the solemn feasts of the Lord our God. This is an ordinance forever to Israel. And the house which I build is great, for great is our God above all gods. But who is able to build him a house for him or to build him a house? Seeing the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain him, who am I then that I should build him a house, save only to burn sacrifice before him? You know, it's great when someone has that attitude, who am I? What makes me so special? Why should I not suffer? Why should I go without suffering? Am I so special I shouldn't, I shouldn't struggle like other people are? I think one of the reasons given for fasting, I think it's in the book of Isaiah, is to understand what it's like for those people that go without food regularly. And sometimes our suffering may even be so that we understand more of what the rest of the world is going through. The big difference is we have the Lord to help us. Now, there's a lot of things out there that tempt us to look down and complain and grumble. If I said politics, <laughs> does any of this make sense that's going on in the world? No. It doesn't make sense. People are nuts. They're crazy. There was a time when it made more sense. How about the morals of our society? Oh, now I'm laughing at the other, but this makes me want to weep. Our, our morals have deteriorated to the point that the most bizarre and grotesque behavior is now popular. There's insanity in modern thinking. You look at the economy. I mean, this is going to get, just, it's all bad, right? It's all bad. In fact, look around this world if you want to, but it's all going to be bad news. The economy's bad, and the ignorance and the blindness of the people, and then, of course, there's the evil. There's the evil that's present in this world. And yet, 
let me tell you something, that none of these things, absolutely none of these things, affect our kingdom in the slightest. We have a king who rules with a rod of iron from his throne. And if sure, it's only the people in his kingdom. It's you and me. It's other believers. But he's our king. He's the king of kings. Amen? He's the Lord of lords. And he knows righteousness. He rules in righteousness. And he rules in justice. And, and I know, I know, we suffer now. We struggle. There will be rewards later. But in all these things that trouble us in this world, our kingdom is not affected in the least. Jesus still rules. His holy angels still keep watch. I was writing to a young man last week. I was reading in this portion about David going to the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And he sees this angel with his sword drawn. This angel that had been a, a judgment on thousands of, of people. And then after David bought the threshing floor and made a sacrifice, the angel put his, the sword back in his sheath. But you know, these angels are on our side. Amen? They're on our side. And we have to remember, we were never promised a pleasant existence in this world. That was never part of the agreement. <laughs> Let's go to Acts chapter 25. Acts chapter 25. I'll try not to abuse this privilege to be here. I won't be going on and on. But there's a couple things I, I need to bring out here. <clears throat> I want to talk about the theme of our kingdom. The theme of our kingdom. In Acts chapter 25, verses 18 and 19... This is the man Festus, the governor, who is describing the situation of Paul to King Agrippa and his, I guess, his wife Bernice. But it says in verse 18, against whom when the accuser stood up, they brought none accusation of such things as I supposed. But had certain questions against him of their own superstition and of one Jesus, which was dead, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. Now, Jesus, of course, did die for our sins. He was buried, and he rose again from the dead. We know that. But this, uh, this Festus, it seems like he's got contempt for him, or it's either total ignorance or contempt, and he says this one Jesus, one Jesus, as if this nobody, this Joe Blow, this ordinary person who, who none of us are concerned about, he was totally ignorant totally ignorant about Jesus. Felix, the governor, was gone. Festus is now in charge. He's visited by Agrippa and Bernice, and he explains the situation to him. He refers to Jesus, the Son of God, as one Jesus, as if he were a nobody. And, you know, it shows how meaningless Jesus was to him, but I don't see much different in that and what's out there in the world these days? Jesus does not mean much to the people out there. It's pretty much identical to what we have in our day. People 
know less and less about him. And so what we have is this tremendous need for, excuse me, the need of the world for our kingdom and for Jesus and its king. Our world is ignorant of Jesus. They don't have a clue of who he is or even what the gospel is. They say, oh, that's gospel truth. And they don't even know what that means. Gospel is the, the, how Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And they think the gospel may be a book. They think it may be this, good news or something like that. Listen, the gospel is all about Jesus and his, his, his ability to redeem us because he died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. When we were traveling down here, we spent the night with my mother-in-law, and she was all hung up, and I can't really blame her. She was really perturbed and disturbed and angry because there was a church in town that put on what they called a gospel drag show. I don't want to think about that, and I'm sorry to even put the image in your mind. I don't know what it's about, but it's not the gospel. And, and they do these performances, and they think they're having a good time, and they think they're having fun, and they think they're giving people a, a lighter attitude or look at, at things in the world or something like that. I, I don't know what, what the purpose is, but it's sure not exalting the Lord Jesus Christ and presenting the message, the only message that the world really needs about him. He died for their sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And this world is in such darkness. Over in South Africa, we've got um, these precious stones. We've got uh, minerals. We've got platinum. We've got gold. We've got diamonds buried way down, way down below the surface of the earth. And that's about the type of darkness this world is in. The sun doesn't shine on that gold. It doesn't shine on that platinum. It doesn't shine on those diamonds because it's so buried. And these people are so in the dark. The sun is like the sun never reaches them. The truth never gets home. And in all this history that we've gone through in this world, 6,000 years, our kingdom hasn't changed. Still the same. Our commission hasn't changed. We're still supposed to go out and preach the gospel to every creature. We look at the problems around us, but we still have this purpose. We still have this purpose, and the world still has this need to hear about Christ. And it, it troubles me when I hear about less and less missionaries. But one thing, one thing that is kind of good is that those countries then become responsible to send their own missionaries out. And that's what we're praying for. That's what we're hoping for. The Church of Majokening has a missionary up in Nigeria. And they're going to, I believe, take on Ernest as their missionary in Lesotho and in the town of Belcom. So, you know, we, <laughs> we, we want to reach farther and farther and farther with the gospel message. And your pastor mentioned about where we're going. 
with, with our lives and, and ministry. And I, I have no idea how involved this will become, but my burden continues to grow for the American Indian. And we've got reservations to the east of us and to the west of us. And I have no idea how the Lord might open up the door, but we see I cross paths with Indians pretty much every week, uh, Native Americans, excuse me, and talk, you know, and I, I tell you what, it lightens my heart every time I see one. I have a burden for them, but I, I have no idea where this is going to go, but you know what? They need to know Christ. So I'd appreciate you praying about that and also praying about your own life. How can I share Christ with those around me? This world that doesn't have a clue, how can I share him? And you know, those burdens that you uh, may be concerned about, maybe keeping you awake at night, maybe keep me from sleeping like I should, you know, these burdens and these worries, we can take those to him. He can lift us above them. Amen.